0: Would you please open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter five? Good morning. God bless you. May the peace of God reign in your heart. May the grace of God pervade your every inch of your soul and life. So oftentimes um, for me personally it comes more frequently than not, where I just stop and I think, what would my life be without Christ? Some of you know that, because some of you have had a, a testimony outside of Christ. I'm thankful for the godly heritage that my parents um, brought me up in, and I'm thankful that my story is as such. But sometimes I wonder, what well, would my life be outside, without Jesus Christ? And how quickly I resolve that I don't even want to meditate and think upon that. Uh, but it always brings me to a place of thankfulness. And um, and I mean that in all sincerity. I am incredibly thankful, as I'm sure you are, to be in Christ Jesus today, to experience the fullness of life, even though we don't experience it always fully. So, Book of Hebrews, Chapter Five. We're going to continue this morning in our study through Hebrews. I'm going to read this morning verses 11 through Chapter Six, verse three. So, Hebrews 5:11 through 6, 3. About this, we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word, of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. Father, we receive the word of God today with a recognition, first and foremost, of the power that lies within it. We thank you, Father, that it is such a primary means of conformity, of encouragement, of strengthening, of clarifying, We thank you that you've given it to us to be understood, not to be obscured or confusing. We thank you for your spirit, which moves among us, which instructs, and of course, which conforms us into your likeness. And so we pray this morning that you would do just that, O great and sovereign God, who is like you, Lord, who is like you in excellence, in splendor, in vastness, Lord, we wonder and we marvel at who you are. May our eyes be opened this morning to see you greater, to know you greater, and so to live for you even more. In the name of Jesus, amen. This morning, I could have easily probably entitled this week's teaching something obvious, like growing into maturity, or... Something, marks of maturity, something like that. But I decided I wanted to go with something a little bit with a, some pizzazz, a little catch. So I've titled this morning's teaching, It's Time to Ditch the Dairy. <laughs> it's Time to Ditch the Dairy. That's the name of this morning's teaching. Uh, I would say other, other notable runners up were um, Dairy. We don't need no stinking Dairy. That was one of them I thought. Uh, um, meat, it's what's for dinner. That was one. And of course, where's the beef? Thought of that one too, but I settled on it's time to ditch the dairy. Do me a favor this morning, <clears throat> wherever you are, raise your hand if you are a meat lover. Raise your hand if you're a meat lover. Yeah. Good old piece of steak, right? Someone, someone says meat, I, I directly go to like a good steak, some, some slab of, you know, whatever, a porterhouse or a we're all salivating at this moment, right? Meat. People love meat, unless you're a vegetarian. You love meat, right? The, 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 the juiciness, the richness of it, um, it's chewy. you got to work on it a little bit. And you know what? It costs something, too, doesn't it? Usually it costs you time to get to that moment where it's cooked just right, nice and medium, rare, a little bit of red, not too overdone. The juice is flowing out of it when you cut into it. But it costs you something. It might cost you time to make it costs you money, that's for sure, right? Especially right now. Nice slab of steak is going to run you 20 bucks, probably. What about, what about milk? Raise your hand if you like a nice warm glass of milk on a hot day. Warm glass of milk on a hot day, right? Not too many people love milk. It goes, coats your throat, right? Kind of sticks with you a little bit. <laughs> this, this, what's, what's, what's interesting, this is the very thing, in a sense, in terms of the, the palpability of the two, this is what the writer of the of Hebrews is getting at within this text the analogy of these two things it's the comparison between the mature Christian the mature Christian and that or those whom he refers to as being like a child the mature Christian of course being the meat eater being able to chew having the 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 teeth, right? The incisors to cut through the meat. And the other, of course, like an infant, beginning with milk, being nourished from milk, something that goes down smooth, something that's easy. This is the comparison that he's bringing for us. And it's interesting, though, uh, last week, if you were with us or if you have listened to last week's teaching, you'll notice almost as quickly as he introduces, the uh, uh, the writer brings in the, the person of Melchizedek. We ended with that in last week's teaching, but there's an abruptness almost to the introduction of Melchizedek, and then suddenly he just stops, and he goes, you know what, there's a realization that the writer comes to, and he says this in verse 11, it's about this we have much to say, and he's speaking of Melchizedek. And it's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. The the writer realizes that his readers are perhaps not capable of comprehending the depth of what he wants to say. That was the point of this. I want to say this, but I actually cannot because you have become dull of hearing. In other words, he's saying, I want to talk to you more on the importance and the significance of Melchizedek. And I soon will, as we'll see in the next Upcoming chapters, but first he says, I've got to address what I see as being this glaring issue, which is a dullness of hearing that's hindering your ability to perceive and to understand such deeper matters. And it's interesting too that he uses the word dullness. He's not talking about dull as in bland, like something with a dull personality, or dull as in not sharp. What he's actually talking about, what this word means, is a dullness that is slow, lazy, and a lackadais- lack, lackadaisical approach to understanding. Someone who's dull is someone who displays a disinclination towards exerting the effort that is necessary. So it's not just, well, you haven't yet reached that in your maturity. It's that you're not willing to make the effort to grow into maturity that you might understand. There's a difference between the two, and so he uses this word dullness intentionally. The issue isn't so much the subject matter of Melchizedek for the writer so much as it is the recipient's desire and ability to comprehend. That's what is talking about here. It's an issue of literacy on behalf of the hearer and the reader Listen to this, in 2018, the Barna Group conducted a study of the U.S. church's thoughts surrounding a variety of topics. And within this survey, they they asked a question to participants, have you previously heard of the Great Commission? Have you heard of the Great Commission? Raise your hand if you've heard of the Great Commission. It's all right if you haven't. Most of us have. Listen to this, 51% of U.S. churchgoers says they don't know the term or the phrase, the Great Commission. 51%. So we go, well, okay, we've got 49%. Nope. We don't even have 49%. Guess what the percentage was who were actually familiar with the phrase, the Great Commission? 17%. 17% of U.S. churchgoers in 2018 were familiar with the phrase, the Great Commission, 25% of the remaining say that the Great Commission rings a bell. It does strike somewhat of a chord with me. Though they can't remember what it is, and the last 6% of churchgoers are simply not sure whether they've heard this term or not. This is the state of the Western church. In addition, while it's slightly outdated, I still think it's somewhat insightful. There was a 2014 Research done by the Lifeway group that found that only 45% of those who regularly attend church read their Bible more than once a week. 45% of people who regularly attend church read their Bible more than once a week. Over 40% of the people attending are reading their Bibles occasionally, which was about once or twice a month, if in fact at all, and the last 15% say they never read their Bible. These are people that go to church. We're not talking people outside the church. We're talking about people within the church. I also read something this week, which I found it almost even more difficult to believe, which is that a recent study within the last six months within the COVID pandemic has found that Bible reading and Bible study have actually decreased within the church within the last six months. Can you believe that? In a a moment where we have more time, most of us, or at least for a couple of, whatever that was, a month, where they were being asked us to stay in our homes. We had more time, and so many people are seeking more answers and looking for more clarity, but yet, what do we see? We see a decrease in the life of the church. And so, obviously, we can see that, that this downward trend, which, again, you know, I'm just presenting kind of general statistical numbers, but I think they show a good insight into the reality of the church. And so what we have from this then is a trend that is creating a problem of epic proportion, wouldn't you say? Which is what the writer of Hebrews, in a sense, is getting to, which we'll get back to in just a moment. The problem is that the word of God, brothers and sisters, has become so devalued, in a sense, and this is a broad brush that I'm going to paint with, just based off of what I was just saying, that the word of God has become so devalued. What is the result of that? The result then is questioning the authority of Scripture. It's a questioning of the inerrancy of Scripture. It's a questioning, of course, of the place of Scripture within the person's heart and the overall importance of the Bible itself within the daily life of the believer. And once the word of God begins to be questioned on that level in terms of its portents, authority, significance, accuracy, what happens then, we find, of course, is that the doctrines which historically we have held so dear and so clear and so unwavering, they themselves begin to get questioned. And I'm sure you have seen this yourself in various conversations, I think I've shared with this with you before, but I have a friend of mine who has long professed to love Jesus, and we talked probably about a year ago in the conversation how amazed I was that, to find out that he no longer believed in hell. These are the types of things that are at stake. When the Bible becomes so devalued, everything is up for grabs. What is true if Scripture is not? This is what we're faced with today. This is what we're challenged with within the church. And this, in turn, has created a church, of course, then, that is biblically illiterate. It becomes, rather than being gospel-centered, it becomes socially centered. As soon as you've become unmoored, you must find your mooring somewhere. And so the church is no longer moored in the gospel, but it's moored, then, in social events, of course, in social issues, and it takes up causes on a cultural level rather than speaking into, with truth, the cultural moment. And when it becomes socially centered rather than gospel centered, what do we see? A church that no longer is powerful but becomes powerless because the gospel no longer lies at the center. And so I would say, what could we logically deduce from the numbers that we saw here at Barnes? And it's this, that a high proportion of American churchgoers most likely do not know what they actually believe or why they believe it. If these statistics are true to some degree, which it appears as though they are, then what we can do is that many, many, many churchgoers most likely don't understand what they actually believe or why they believe it. And we wonder why the church is non-essential, right? So then it should be no wonder then that the non-believing individuals who look upon the church with disinterest at best and most of the time with some bit of disdain, because of what? Because of the lack of interest that we ourselves as believers show to the very truth the light and the way of the, our own Christian life. It's not just our witness church that's at risk as well. And this is really what the writer of Hebrews has been driving home with in his letter. The issue goes beyond just being relevant, attractive, and there being continuity. What's ultimately also at stake here is the matter of the believer's individual perseverance. The individual's continuance in their faith and the authenticity of their faith. That is what is at stake in this. Here's the point. Immature believers are easily led astray. This is what the writer of Hebrews is driving home. He said in chapter 2, verse 1, Pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away. And he says again, in chapter 3, verse 12, take care both of yourself and of each other, as we looked at when we looked at that chapter and that verse. Take care of yourself and of each other, lest there be any evil within us in an unbelieving heart that what? Leading us to fall away from the living God. This is what is at stake. This is what, when we paint this broader picture, with a broad brush, of course, but at the state of the Western church, brothers and sisters, it's about people. It's about souls. It's about continuance and perseverance. So just to paint the final picture, in all of these, whether we're whether it's biblical illiteracy, whether it's a lack of biblical maturity in the church, whether it's a lack of biblical discipline in the church, all of these are symptomatic of a church that is anemic, that ultimately lacks potency and power. And and listen, the reason that it lacks potency and power is because of its malnourished people. In other words, we're not feeding ourselves with what? We ought to, to continue on into maturity. And so the writer is going to juxtapose two individuals, as I already said, those who are mature and those who are like a child in their understanding, only to exhort them in the end to leave behind, he's going to say in 6.1, leave behind the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity. And why? Because it is the mature who are able to distinguish evil from good because they wield the powers of discernment trained by constant practice. This is the importance. This is the end goal right here. So what he's doing, he's identifying what he perceives to be an issue in his hearers in the church to whom he was writing to. But he doesn't just say, well, listen, here's your problem. He says, identify what the problem is. Now here is the answer. This is what I'm calling you to. This is the answer for the ailing Western church as well. This is where the the timeliness, I would say, of today's message comes into play. The disinterested world who has ideologically usurped the Western church, who by and large seems to be happy to acquiesce to this position. We've, We've seemingly happily just stepped to the side. While culture says, This, 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 and this, and the church goes, okay, go ahead, you can have that. We'll concede this area to you. We'll just keep up here with doctrine and theology within the church itself. So this church who has seemed happy to give up their position within culture will only be able to confront and resist through Our ability to see and not just see, but also our ability to understand. It's going to be men and women, young men and young women who are pursuing maturity in Christ Jesus, who will have the ability to perceive, to understand, and to see what is happening within the world today. And it must begin there if we are going to resume and take again our place of power and potency within culture. Can you agree with me on that? This is what we face today. It's going to require a keen sense of discerning, a mind to perceive what's occurring in the world all around us, and a mature mind which knows what then needs to be done. And so he's going to break down here within verses 12 and 13, the three marks, the three characteristics that identify the dairy-drinking type the immature believer. So I want to look at these here. Look at verse, verse, uh, verses 12 and 13 in chapter 5. And the first one that he identifies is this. He says that they are shallow in their understanding. They're shallow in their understanding. In verse 12, he says, Though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you. Paul will say in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, he says, I could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh. And he says, as infants in Christ. And so what did he do? I fed you with milk then, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not ready, he says, for you are still of the flesh. And so there's this connection then between the immature and the flesh itself. Those who are still given to the things of the flesh who have not attained the greater things of maturity in Christ Jesus. Of course, the picture is so vivid, like a baby in the arms of its mother. The immature are like infants in their ability to understand and comprehend, unable to process the weightier, more substantial truths of Christ. Not only are they unable, but the writer of Hebrews also will identify Again, using this word dullness, that they actually lack a desire. The immature are shallow in their understanding, not just because they are unable to comprehend, but because they lack the desire to actually comprehend. I read this week, someone asked the question, where does your mind go? If you're wondering where you are in your level of maturity in Christ, Where does your mind go in the moments of of just life? Not when you're consumed with a task, but just life. What's what's your default, in other words? Do we default to fill in the blank, news scrolling, or do we default to just earthly things, or does our mind at times go to Christ? This isn't me putting anything on us either. Please don't hear what I'm saying. I'm I'm wanting to encourage us. I think there is a place in this for us to take a sobering assessment. Where am I in my Christian life? Am I pursuing maturity? And listen, there's no end into Christlikeness, not within this life at least. So we can walk with Christ and obey Christ and follow Christ for 30 years and still not become fully mature. So, it isn't just a, well, yeah, I'm mature, or no, I'm not. It's no, no, no. There's a spectrum, right? It's the process of sanctification. So, they're shallow in their understanding. The the shallowness then leads to the second, which he's going to say in that same verse 12, which is that milk drinkers are incapable of helping others. And that's what he says just before. You ought to be teachers. Not just you should desire it, you ought to already be. You ought to be teachers, but instead you need someone to teach you. Of course, then we understand that that this immaturity is a dependence upon others. No baby can help themselves, right? It requires the constant care and supervision of someone who's more able and more capable, which then ultimately results in the third which he says, someone who is unskilled in righteousness. So first, the dairy drinkers are shallow in their understanding. They're incapable of helping others, and they are unskilled in righteousness. And he says, for everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. And just as he specifies, we can then deduce in this comparison from the meat eaters, from the flank feeders. You like flank steak? How are the filet feeders? How about that? The filet mignon feeders. Let's look at what then we ought to be pursuing. The first, we're called to reach the depth of understanding, to be the mature, those who have their power of discernment trained. This is what we are to pursue, brothers and sisters. Psalm 1, verses 1 through 3, you know Psalm 1 probably really well. It says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord and on his law. He meditates night and day. And what is he? He is like a tree that is planted by streams of water, That yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. This picture here is one of a tree whose roots go deep, right? Whose roots go deep to feed from the nutrients that's deep beneath the soil, away from the surface contaminants. But not only does he go deep for nutrients, but the tree also goes deep for stability. This is what the writer of Hebrews is commending his people towards. This is what we need to pursue. Let's pursue a life of deep, rich, stable roots. Drawing from the nutrients of the deep things in Christ Jesus. And ultimately, as Psalm tells us then, not only that, but the tree is also fruitful. Which of course, we want to pursue the works of Christ, the good works that we have been created for. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. This is still just on the fact that we have been called to be those with a deep understanding. The mature have a depth of understanding. Ephesians 4, Paul says this in Ephesians 4, verse 13. Actually, let's go back. Verse 11, Ephesians four eleven, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to what? Mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. God has not called us to grow in maturity in him alone, but he has also given to us the church, offices within the church to help us mature as well. Such a God act, isn't it? He he not only calls us something to something, but he gives us the means to which to attain it. so amazing to follow him. We're called to have a depth, to reach a depth of understanding. Secondly, we're called to be instructors, brothers and sisters. We are called to be instructors. You are called to be an instructor, able to teach others. Listen, he isn't saying that all have to be pastors and teachers of the word of God. That's not what he's saying in this. It's that the mature believer is able to instruct the immature, is able to instruct the immature in the ways of Christ. We see this pictured in Acts chapter 18, where it says, Now a certain Jew named Apollos, born in Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures, you'll remember this, came to Ephesus, and it says that this man had been instructed in the way of the Lord. And being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord, though he knew only the baptism of John. And so he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. And when Aquila and Priscilla heard him, they took him aside, it says and explained to him the way of God more accurately. This was a mature man and woman who were instructing, not even an immature. We're told here that Apollos, being fervent in spirit, and he spoke and taught accurately, but even still he needed to be instructed in the Lord. Paul would say this to Titus, older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. And he says that they are to teach what is good and so train young women. To love their husbands, love their children, be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands that the word of God may not be reviled. Here's a picture of what it means to be instructors. So if you are feeling inadequate, be encouraged. Because God has called each one of us. And again, he gives us what is needed in order to accomplish what he calls us to. We also see this in Paul's remarks in Ephesians 4 that, that we looked at. He's going to say that where he, we are to grow in every way, he says. We are to grow in every way. And he's speaking not just of the individual. The context of Ephesians 4 is the corporate. It's the community, the faith community of God. Again, this is this idea of let us consider. Let us, not just for our own personal self, but let us as a faith community. Let us together grow into maturity. We're called not only into individual, but ultimately one that is not in isolation, but one that is in community. For we grow in every way, Paul says, into Christ, from whom the whole body, and he gives this picture, joined and held together, our, our unity with one another by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly, make the body grow. And of course, we also know that we are those who are always prepared, or at least we're called to be those who are always prepared to give a defense to anyone would ask for the reason of the hope that was in us anyone you guys not just unbelieving but to one another let us be prepared to give an account for the reason of our hope to instruct each other to help one another in the ways of Christ Jesus and thirdly we are called as those who are the flesh feeders that's kind of gross we won't do that how about the bovine biters those who are the meat masticators, how about that one? The meat eaters, were are called to be trained in discernment. This is what happens, the author says, through constant practice, which he says in verse 14. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have had their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish evil from good. The the spiritually mature are those who are well-trained through practice and well-taught through constancy. Listen, well-trained through practice and well-taught through constancy. That is what it requires to be mature in Christ. Regular habits produce regular results, do they not? We've gone to this text many times and I feel like We've gone to it especially over this last 6 to 12 months. But I, I just want to bring it again because it was the first thing that came to my heart as I was just pondering and, and putting together what I wanted to teach. And it was the text in First Chronicles. And just stick with me again if you've heard it. But I, wanted, I want us to consider it just in terms of those who are trained in discernment. In First Chronicles, in chapter 14, it's running through this list of the, I think it's almost like 90,000 of David's mighty men in 1 Chronicles. And just smack dab right in the middle of all this, it comes to the men of Issachar. You guys know what I'm talking about. The men of Issachar, and it says this, it's that the men of Issachar were men who had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. Men of Issachar who had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. This was as they're just counting the, the abilities and the strengths of all of David's mighty men. And here are these men who, who, who seem to have this perception and understanding and wisdom to not only discern the times but to understand then how to live in light and how to lead in light of those times. And the New Living Translation says it this way, all these men understood the signs of the times and knew the best course for Israel to make. As I was looking and studying this too, it, the, the Talmud records that the wisest members of the Sanhedrin came from the men of Issachar. So it wasn't even just the 200 leaders that 1 Chronicles points out. But this was something of an inheritance, something that was given to these men within this lineage. It's someone who knows the signs of the time and who knows more than just the headlines of the time, right? Someone who knows more than just the tweets of the time. Someone who knows the signs, someone who has the wisdom to perceive and to understand what's happening within our world through a biblical lens, brothers and sisters. Again, this isn't just for a select segment. This is for us, I believe. This is what God has called us to as mature believers and followers of him, that we would be able to discern, that we would have the power of discernment. It's to know that as Christians, we are now alive at a specific moment in time that is full of significance and that we're positioned uniquely in the wider story of the world as it moves towards the final chapter in Jesus Christ. And this discernment comes not simply through reading alone, but by being alert, by being attentive, by perceiving what is good from what is evil, both within the world and the culture, but also within the church itself. Wisdom that comes only from maturity in Christ. And I was thinking, this is why we do what we do as an elder team. This is why we tackle books like the study through revelation, to understand eschatology. This is why we study books like none greater. The undomesticated attributes of God. If you were there with us last Tuesday, it was like. Some of you might have felt that way as you read the chapter and go, wait a minute, I got to read that again. I got to read that again. This is why we do these things, not to just fill time but that what, that what we would be doing as an eldership team is calling and teaching and training us into a level of maturity, not just so that we would have this great confidence, but that we would be able to perceive and to understand and so speak into the world around us. That's why like two weeks ago, that the, 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 the study that Rick spoke on through Romans 13 is so incredibly important. This is why we wrestle with these things that's why we're not satisfied to just take the pablum week in and week out or to feed ourselves on the supplementary writings and the things that it's like, I just need to be encouraged right now in my faith. Yeah, that's important from time to time. But are you digging deep? Are you challenging yourself? Are you being challenged by others? And are you, of course, being submitted to God? Allowing God by a spirit to, to conform us all of these things are practices which train us in the deeper things of Christ again so he's going to say that the, those who eat meat have a depth of understanding they're instructors for they're capable of instructing others in the ways of Christ and they are trained in discernment through constant practice able to discern what is evil and what is good. And let me just close with this because it's, it's part of what we read here and I just want to acknowledge it for context and clarity. At the beginning of chapter six, we, we read that the writer is urging them then in light of this to move on from the elementary doctrine of Christ. In other words, he's saying that that which has consumed those lactose lovers, that was a good one, right? What has traditionally consumed those who are milk drinkers, he literally, it's translated as the ABCs of Christ. The, the oracles, I believe, is the word that he uses. The foundation, uh, go on to maturity, laying the foundation, leaving the, oh no, sorry, it's another translation where he uses the, the, the elementary doctrine of Christ can also be translated as the oracles of Christ or the ABCs. It's the absolute foundational doctrine. Doctrine of Christ, and then he goes on and he identifies what some of them are, and he gives us three sets of two, and and it's like. And I was thinking, I said this last week. You know, when I gave you guys the three points, I said it's my unholy trinity of applications, right? But But it's amazing how many times we get sets of three within Scripture. I didn't make this stuff up, you guys. I can't write this. No, he he gave us three things within the milk drinkers, three things within the meat eaters, and now he's gonna show us three sets of two that are these ABC basics of the foundation. And he says this, the first is repentance from dead works and faith in God. That's the first, repentance from dead works, he says. Let us move on, going into maturity, not laying again the foundation, repentance from dead works and faith to God. And then he says of instruction about washings, the laying and the laying on of hands. That's the second instruction about washings and the laying on of hands. And then the third, he says, is the resurrection from the dead and eternal judgment. And we would hear those and we go, wow, well, are those like elementary principles? Listen, without digging too deep into it because of time, this is, this is the point that I just want to pull from this. What he's, he's given us in each of these, look at these again. He's given us three things. He's given us, first, matters as pertains to our justification. Matters as it pertains to our justification. Secondly, he's given matters pertaining to our sanctification. The the idea of this washing, you can get so deep into it, but let's just consider it as the ceremonial consecration and the laying on of hands is the reception of the Holy Spirit. Matters of sanctification. Then, of course, we can look at the third and we can see that it's issues pertaining to our justification. I mean, our glorification, sorry. The resurrection from the dead and the eternal judgment. These are the elementary doctrines of Christ. And listen, he's not saying that they're unimportant. So if you're finding yourself today where you yourself haven't settled some of these foundational things, what he isn't saying is that they're unimportant. He's saying, get a hold of them, let them take root in your life so that you may go on to the more mature, deeper things in Christ Jesus. So let us be encouraged today, if you are still working through these things, keep working through. Work through with other believers. You have questions, come to the elders. You're uncertain of something, don't let that question remain but dig deep for yourself and you'll find that by the spirit of God, he will speak to you as you pursue understanding of him and knowledge of him. So they're not that they're unimportant. In fact, he says it's quite opposite. They're foundational. They're essential to building upon for the mature life. And the admonition then is that we would be able to leave them and to go on to maturity. Maturity. That is what we're being called to. And again, let me just say, regardless of where we are today, if you are a young believer in Christ Jesus, this isn't to say that you are not where you are supposed to be right at this moment. It's just to say that you are not where you should ultimately be at the end of your days. Build the foundation. Let them take root so that God may build upon them and build you into maturity. Seek out the things that are deeper. Stretch yourself. Allow your mind to be challenged. Allow your thinking to be challenged. That's one of the most important things as we come in our own personal study and devotion and reading of Scripture is a place of humility before Christ. How easy it is to become puffed up in our own spiritual state, to be like, oh, I got that all figured out. I'm telling you, I've been humbled in the years that I have walked with some of these men as an elder. The way that things are just held with hands open. This is the conclusion that I've come to, but you know what, Lord? You have the right to to revamp this, to correct this, to build upon it. And inevitably, we find that when we do that, as our biblical theology, our whole Bible theology is built those things that we've held to, they get shifted. It's amazing how God works. He brings us to an understanding here so that he can bring us to a place of understanding here so that suddenly this finds itself in a more appropriate context and it's like building stone upon stone as he's building us into a mature, stable being. But we hold it in in, in hands that are loose. Come to Christ, seek the deep things, but do it in a place of humility. And I guarantee you, he will meet you where you are. But pursue God. We must pursue God. Let me bring it back to the beginning, just to land here. For the sake of this city, for the sake of this world, for the sake of the condition of the church that I spoke on in the beginning, this is what we're called to. And I'm gonna tell you, I believe that this is an earmark of Capital City Church. Not that, again, not that we're so puffed up in our head knowledge, but that we are a community of believers who pursue the deeper things of God. If you are a part of this community, you can expect to be challenged and to be called in this way because this is what the world needs now. And of course, for the seasoned veterans, for those of us who have been following Christ It's amazing, like, I used to think that I was a young follower of Christ. I'm 41 now. It's like I've been following the Lord for 30 years, probably, maybe not quite that long. But it's long enough now that I can look at myself and go, well, you better settle some of these things. You've put this thing off long enough, fill in whatever the blank is. You've been happy to just hang on the periphery, you know, of some of these issues. Now it's time to dive in feet first. So if you are if you're a longtime follower of Jesus Christ, listen, resist the subversive tyranny of comfort because that is what it is. Comfort is tyrannical and we don't even realize it. Resist it. As I said, hold things loose and allow God to shift as he builds upon you. I believe that that is what we can expect as we're conformed into the image of Christ all throughout our lives. That he shifts, he readjusts, he clarifies, and he builds, and he continues to do it over and over again. Our Christian walk, if it becomes too familiar, if it becomes too comfortable, it leads to stagnancy, and as the writer of Hebrews says, even possibly being led astray familiarity, and comfort. They can lead us to falling astray. It's time to ditch the dairy, brothers and sisters. It's time to move to the meat. Oh, that's perfect. I love the alliterations. Where's Janet Rodriguez, too? And she'd be laughing at all of these. Let us consider how we can stir each other up into this. Let us consider how to stir one another up all the more in each of these areas. Amen? Amen? And let's build up into maturity. Together, let's grow in unity and in faith and in maturity into a strong body of Christ Jesus. Would you stand with me? I just want to apply it with prayer. And also, too, I feel like opportunity to respond. You know, we've said it in the past, but I feel like we are adjusting, you know, as we have adjusted our, uh, our worship through the, the COVID experience, but I just want to say, um, we do value, and I want to build a culture of response. And I think that's something that we can do better. And so as I apply it, and just ask for the Lord to apply it in prayer, uh, I also want to invite you to just reflect on where you are in this. And if, and if you're wanting prayer this morning, I want to pray for you. And I'm sure that the other elders would like to pray for you as well, and some of the other leaders. So um, if that's you, would you please come and... and um, and I would love to pray for you after the fact or discuss it more. So let's pray together, and then I'm going to turn it back over to Kevin. Father, these things are so significant beyond just the matter of self-importance and, and self-worth. Lord, these are, these are literally, this can be a life and death matter for souls, both believing and non-believing. And so, Lord, we pray, as I said that I believe that this is a faith community who is called to this depth of knowledge, I ask, Lord, that you would give us the grace to pursue you greater. And I ask, Father, for a measure of faith, of expectation that as we pursue, Lord, that you will respond. I'm, I'm picturing the woman who was not willing to just be passed by by Jesus, but she was so desperate to meet with Jesus that she would even go for him and reach out just to touch his garment. Lord Jesus, may we be that type of person who is so desirous to be made well and to be made whole in our inner man that we would pursue you at all costs, even just to touch the outermost of your being. And like the woman who brought the best that she had to the feet of Jesus, may we bring all of the best that we have unto you, Lord God, in our pursuit of knowing you. Lord, we ask that you would help us today to move outside our places of comfort and familiarity, Lord, that we would see the souls outside of this building, in the places of of public spheres, As we watch the news cycles and in preparation, Father, for the upcoming elections, that we would see that there's so much more at stake than just ideologies and affiliations, Lord. But it is the souls of unbelieving hearts. And may we be so moved to prepare ourselves to be such a people to give an answer for the reason of our hope that is within us. Lord, build us together, we pray, in this. And all the while, Father, we say that we pursue you and we pursue you alone. We repent where we have pursued lesser things, where we have made idols out of lesser things, Lord. Today we commit ourselves to the pursuit of the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And so wielding, Father, the sword of righteousness to discern what is right and what is good and what is evil and not of you. build us, we pray, to the glory of your name, Lord Jesus, to the praise of your glorious grace, that the name of Jesus would be made known in the greater Sacramento area. Lord, bring many, draw many through our obedience, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.